Hello, and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community, brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media, and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient, advocate, and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. You're so good at that reminder mm. on today's show. We have the latest installment of The Well with Jessica Lauren Richmond. The Well. (laughs) Where the focus is on growth and uh, the idea of as things change, we also clarify what stays the same. The segment featuring community member Michelle Condy, who speaks about advocating on behalf of her brother and why the bleeding disorders community is composed of such stellar change-making advocates. Amy and I share some summer updates, and we welcome on a special surprise guest. A surprise guest? We have, yeah, well, not to you. You know who it is, but the listeners don't know who it is. You could have just, you could have played that hard. Like, Amy doesn't know who it is, but you're like, you know who it is. And listeners, you know, the veil has, you know, been pulled away. I do know who it is, but you don't. One of us respects you enough to give (laughs) you the truth. The other one is trying to let you know that she's willing to lie to you at any time. What? So let's just be clear about what you just learned, listeners. That could let's have been be clear. showbiz, you guys. Showbiz. Showbiz. Uh, but we do have a surprise guest that, you know, you know, the listeners will know soon. We've got all of that stuff and more today on Bloodstream. Welcome to Bloodstream. Hey, listeners, as always, thank you for joining Patrick and I and special guests here on Bloodstream. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to those podcasts. Episodes of Bloodstream can also be listened to and shared directly from the Bloodstream Media Facebook page. How about that? Which is incredible. Isn't it? you know, technology and all the things. But as always, if you've got suggestions for topics or guests, if you have questions for myself or Patrick, ping us on social media or email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. There's also a great like casting situation that we have going on. We've got multiple casting opportunities. Mm -hmm. So if you would like to share your story with Believe Limited or Bloodstream Media, feel free to email us. Again, that's mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. Especially if you know an elite athlete or physical achiever with hemophilia. With hemophilia. With hemophilia specifically. If you know somebody who's, who's an not extraordinary Chris athlete, who's not Chris Bombardier, <laughs> and I, ideally, with all due respect, also not a cyclist. We have no, oh, we, we've got some cyclists. That's true. Everybody rides bikes. We're looking for like, you know, the, who's a little harder to find. Yeah. If you know of some of those people, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. I also, listeners, want to remind you that the Bloodstream Podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes, that's right, Takeda. Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. Amy Board? So do I. Oh my gosh. And are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You always you get me with that one. Can learn more <laughs> one of these days by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, though you probably don't need it, bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say, Thanks, Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. Listeners, it's time to unveil our special guest. An unveiling! Oh, uh, it's such an unveil. It's such an unveil. And I 
being a nonprofit nerd, which we branded myself as a nonprofit nerd. That I'm is extremely true. Extremely excited to welcome on Ashley Gregory, who is the executive director of the Hemophilia Foundation of Northern California, who I have heard about in like executive director circles, which I'm Ooh. still a part of. Don't brag. <laughs> That's fair. But I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's okay, the you can unveiling. Brag. And we're we've got great stuff to talk to her about. She may even have an announcement for us. So oh. let's say hello and welcome her on. Ashley Gregory, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Bloodstream. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Amy. Hi, Patrick. I can't believe the energy here. It's so fun. Thank you. Well, Yay. thank you. We understand that you uh, are not uh, at 100% at the moment, but you upheld your commitment to Bloodstream. So we applaud and appreciate you for that. I wouldn't miss this for the world, but I do have to make one slight correction. I am Please do. education and advocacy director at the Hemophilia Foundation of Northern California. We actually have an amazing executive director, and I just want to shout out to Andrea Orozco. So, um, but thank you for those accolades that you bestowed upon me. That is my bad. And I knew that. I just wrote that incorrectly. I will take that and thank you for the appropriate shout out and correction there. Um, so, Ashley, we've known each other many years, as you and Amy were just chatting about. Uh, she's known of you through the circles of EDs for many years. But what actually brings us here is not something uh, chapter specific. What brings us here is this movement related to equity for women with bleeding disorders that you have been driving now for uh, a couple few months. So let me stop there and give you an opportunity to just tell listeners, what's this movement all about? Yeah, this was brought about by the men in the community, actually, that were looking around and recognizing that there was a gap in the care that their female relatives were receiving for their bleeding disorder in comparison to what they were receiving and what they were see, seeing their blood brothers receive. And they had some questions and they were wondering with all of the education that's been going on for years, as we all know, why was this happening? So they started asking questions and having conversations with people in the community. And what they learned and what we've all sort of come to learn is that our national organizations and our local organizations have done a tremendous job at educating women in the community about their bleeding disorders. And there just seemed to be a gap between how the science was catching up to the practice of medicine and what the knowledge was for the women. And what was happening was women, like myself, were um, seeking treatment and increasingly coming up against barriers. And uh, mm -hmm. so these barriers are what the men in the community were hoping to address. And so this is how this movement was born. And uh, it has become a national get-together where we've got working groups, we've got an advisory committee. And I'm happy to say, Patrick, you're on that advisory committee and you've already committed to uh, yeah. doing a project. So uh, we're really moving in the right direction with this. And uh, our goals are three and they're incredibly focused. Mm, okay. What are those? We're focused on access to diagnosis, treatment, and medication for females in the bleeding disorders community. And would you say that that focus is what separates this coalition from, say, 
efforts that NHF or HFA have embarked on or the Foundation for Women and Girls with Bleeding Disorders, what is it that distinguishes this particular coalition and its mission? Well, those organizations that you mentioned are doing a tremendous job in educating researchers, educating treaters. However, there's so many of us out there that the message is not being reached in a timely manner. And you've got people who, for instance, one of our community members was diagnosed in the 70s, and she's still having trouble seeking and and getting access to treatment. Despite the documentation, she's been involved in research projects. And so somehow there's just been this gap between the message and the receivers of the message. And so what we aim to do is to, on one hand, take a look at how would that message be received in a way that we can help move this along quickly. We're we're hoping to be finished with this within 36 months. You know, it's a a movement. It's not a, a brand new organization or anything like that. Got it. Okay, that's helpful to know. So I'm curious to ask you about some of the milestones that remain in 2022. But before getting into that, I understand that you have something of an announcement to share with our audience as well. What is it that you have to announce about this movement here on Bloodstream? Well, anyone that's been affiliated with it knows that our name has changed with every week. We we did not know what our name was. And we you know, we're literally building the plane as we're flying it, so to speak. Right. I am super happy to announce that we have a name. It is FAIR, F-A-I-R. Females are important to be recognized. And I want to thank the advisory board for voting and putting in their own ideas for the name selection. And I love that it evokes notions of fairness as well speaking of, you know, equity. Uh, so, and, and then of course, when you think of the fairer sex, you think of fair. So mm. it has some nice on connotations. Levels. We like that kind of stuff here, Love I believe. It. We like that creative sort of double entendre stuff. Love it. Ashley, I kind of want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of the barriers to treatment and the barriers to care. Can you put some words to, from a clinical community standpoint, what's the holdup? <laughs> I mean, what, you know, there, there's, I, I have experienced it. I've, I've witnessed it in, um, in HTCs. I feel like very progressive HTCs that it is, they really put their foot down when it comes to, um, treating women, especially those with numbers in the mild hemophilia range. Amy, you're so right. And what we're finding is that the, my life, our future study recognized that there are so many genetic variations And this may be one of the reasons for these barriers that women are facing. So in other words, if you're a woman who has what we would call severe hemophilia, you're you're probably going to get good treatment and and fair treatment and, and be recognized with a diagnosis. But we find that people who have numbers that are higher and even up into the normal range which I know people would say, well, then do you even have hemophilia? Well, lo and behold, they did find some genetic variants that bleed like severe even, but that have a regular normal factor level. 
And that is where you start to get these women who are coming up with these symptoms that when you take a bleeding assessment test, they Mm. check enough boxes to qualify as having a bleeding disorder. However, a treater may be looking at them and laying on hands and saying, you don't feel like my guys that I treat. And this is, this may be foreign to me. And therefore I might send you to your OBGYN or I might send you to a rheumatologist. And you sort of start doing this circle of treaters who keep passing you along. And we have found that that's been the case with many of the women. What are some ways for the women who are listening and are interested in this movement, what can they do to support it? Well, let's start there. What can they do? Men and women alike, what can people want to support this movement to support FAIR? What can they do? Where can they go? To support FAIR, we welcome everyone, non-binary included, to come to the meetings. We try to host them as early as possible in order to get the work done because we understand everyone's busy and that this is something extra. You can also opt in to share your story. And we have a community member who has started collecting collecting the stories, which we know is going to be a big process. And then we'll be turning them over to Patrick, you and Janet with your project that you're working on. And that is going to be where our science and data team is going to start collecting that, those numbers. And we'll de-identify you if you so wish. That way will help get your story out there in a, a, a collective numbers way, if you will, that can to these treaters. And it really won't be able to be ignored. And perhaps you've just addressed part of what my my final question is about, which is 36 months out from when it started, what do you hope to be the end product of FAIR? Great question. Our goals are that women across the nation as to diagnosis, treatment, and medication on a level equitable to what our males are receiving. So Ashley, what you just said kind of addresses my final question you mentioned this is a 36-month movement. What do you envision the end result of those 36 months? What does the end of this process look like? What does success look like? For FAIR to be considered a success, we would like for every woman who is concerned about their bleeding symptoms to be able to walk into a treatment center and receive access to diagnosis, treatment and medication on an equitable level as their male counterparts. That seems like a very specific and reasonable goal. And what would that- And succinct. I would have to say from an advocacy grassroots perspective, that is hard to like wrap it up and to have like advocacy goals. Bravo, hats off to you, Ashley, and your team and your volunteers. It is hard to wrangle volunteers. And I think uh, something that has been- I've just enjoyed hearing you speak, and I just really appreciate your building something that's working along with with some of the engines that are already going, and everyone's doing something different, and they really can 
work together for the betterment of this. And uh, I know you know this. There are several physicians that are leading, you know, the charge vocally, I think, for some of these standards of cares to be changed. And that is a part of it, NHF, HFA. And I'm just thrilled to pieces that this is happening at a grassroots level, at a community level. So bravo, hats off to you. Uh, sorry to step on you, Patrick. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> From a nonprofit nerd to a nonprofit nerd. <laughs> I saw you get excited and I was like, she's responding to something. I'm glad you, I'm glad you broke in with that. Um, I think that's a great place to leave it. Other than to say, Ashley, for, um, for people who do want to get involved, is there a website or is it an email address? What can we give people? We'll put this in the program notes and description as well, listeners. But Ashley, what, what can people do to get involved? Oh, thank you both. And Amy, I'm I'm so thrilled with your enthusiasm and can't wait to hear more from, from you. Please contact me at ashley.gregory at hemofoundation.org. You can also go onto our website and when we have meetings, they'll be posted up there and that's just hemofoundation.org and go to the events portion. As far as getting involved, we want everybody, uh, anybody who is touched by a bleeding disorder, non-binary included, please join our meetings and um, see if there's something that interests your your ability to participate. Maybe you want to share your story and that's going to be a really important piece of how you participate. Or maybe you want to hop on the science and data working team and help with gathering and collecting information and uh, putting it into something that's palatable for our treaters and so that we can help move this uh, moving along. And, you know, I just want to remind everybody that this would not have happened without our blood brothers, especially um, Ray Datoli, who is is our co-founder. And the, the blood brothers really inspired this and, and have offered their support and their tactics, if you will, that honestly, we, we weren't thinking of or using. So I, I must give credit where it's due. Well, shout out to Ray and to fellow Blood yes. Brothers. So Ashley Gregory, Advocacy and Education Director of the Hemophilia Foundation of Northern California. If you want to get involved in FAIR, ashley.gregory at hemofoundation.org or go to the website, check out the events page for the next meeting and make sure to attend. Ashley, we will stay in touch. Obviously, I'm a part of this, so you and I will stay in touch, but we'll make sure that as there are meaningful updates and messages that we'll get them out here on Bloodstream one way or another. Thank you for making the time to come on Bloodstream today. Oh, that went great. Ashley's fantastic. Special guest. Special guest, Ashley Gregory. And there we go, folks. Fair. It's been announced here on Bloodstream. We got the scoop. Fair. And you know how to contact Ashley. Super proud of it. I want to talk to you more about this. I do do too. But before we do. Okay. Before we do and stuff. Ooh. Before we do and stuff. Hey, the Bloodstream Podcast is brought to you in part by a new campaign from CSL Bearing called Portraits of Progress. In the 1950s, life expectancy for people living with hemophilia was less than 20 years. However, over the past 70 years, the treatment landscape has evolved rapidly, giving patients new options and a new lease on life. Mm-hmm. CSL Bearing and acclaimed portrait photographer Rankin, Rankin. Rankin Rankin have teamed up to chronicle the evolution of hemophilia treatment by sharing portraits of the incredible patients, caregivers, and professionals who are personally affected by the disease. Check out www.portraitsofprogress.com, a virtual photo exhibit 
to learn more about the personal struggles and triumphs of the hemophilia community mm-hmm. and how the pace of progress in hemophilia treatment has transformed lives. It's true. From the days of minimal treatment options to the potential of gene therapy today, mm-hmm. this community has seen it all with more hope than ever for the future. So thank you again to CSL Bearing and remember to check out www.portraitsofprogress.com by clicking on the link in the program notes. I gotta say that's some pretty good copy. I know, right? <laughs> and look, it's true. In 70 years, so much has changed. But to Ashley's point, not for everybody. There's so much that still needs to be done to make sure that yes. the best practices, the best care, the best access is received by all who have the diagnosis, which of course also means making sure to get that accurate diagnosis. It's, it's a part of it. And the thing that I was so moved by is that this was started, and not start. I mean, this has been trickling for a long time. Women have been very vocal about this. Oh, 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 it's yeah. not like women have been, you know, in the Waiting either. for a white night or something. Yes. I just think that having Blood Brothers come forward and actually like being an ally in this of like, no, 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 this is not right. It's not yeah. important. And these are some tactics that helped us along the way, which you know, the hemophilia community has been through it been through and it all. does have, you know, very useful tactics in terms of changing the standard of care, changing stigma, and changing how we treat and diagnose. So I was really encouraged by it. And I, I just, I think it's cool. You guys should check it out. Make sure to check it out and get involved. Make your voices heard. Women of our community, I know you're listening out there. I know there's a lot of caregivers out there who yeah. actually don't put too much time into their own bleeding issues oh, most of them, um, as they're taking care of their sons with hemophilia. So yeah. moms, this is this is a shout out for you too. Make sure to uh, talk to your hematologist about you someday. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, <laughs> sorry, mom, I'm going to put you on blast a little bit here, but it's important to, to keep in mind just all the barriers that women face in particular. So, you know, you look at my daughter who is an obligate carrier yep. of it but also has levels consistent with someone that has mild hemophilia. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how her you know, actual bleed presentation evolves over the course of her young life. We'll keep up to date with her. But my mother has like denial about, well, she doesn't really have it. Like, you know, what, what are you doing that? Why are you bringing factor with right. you when you travel? Right. It's like, because she has hemophilia, mom. Yeah. Like, you know about this. Yeah. But she just has it in her head. Yeah, but she's a woman like me. It's mild. She doesn't need anything. And it's like, You're overreacting. You're overreacting. You're overreacting. Yeah. And what I've learned, and again, sorry, mom, what I've learned is to like accept her point of view. I don't think I'm going to change her mind, but I'm not going to change the care of my daughter. Like, so she can say what she wants to say. I'm still going to do the thing that I know to be right by my daughter. But it's just an example of like, hey, if you think I'm, you know, an advocate and I'm in a good spot, my own mother gives me grief about the way I'm treating my female family member with hemophilia. So there's a lot working against the women in our community, which is why this movement, FAIR, is so important. Shouts out to Ray. Chris Templin is also another blood brother who's been instrumental, very outspoken, very vocal for many years on behalf of his daughters about what's happening for the women. I've been in rooms virtually and actual with Chris for many years where his hand goes up and he stands up with his big hair and his Ah! big presence and he just starts kind of giving you the business, especially like these centers are not treating women the way they need to. Like he's not... He's not mincing his words at all. And these guys have worked collaboratively with Ashley and the female leadership at FAIR as well to develop these goals, use the best practices that over 70 years our community has, you know, put together. I think part of the challenge, at least I'll speak from my own perspective, and, and then we should probably move on soon. 
Part of what I see as the challenge is that there are so many stories of women who have not received adequate care, diagnoses, ongoing care, like any spot in the chain, you name it. And there are just so many stories. And it is important that we collect these stories as Ashley alluded to, Janet Brewer and Chess are working with us very early days on a project. Amy doesn't even know a thing about this in full transparency. Not a she, clue. She and Keith both learned that we are doing something related to stories with Janet Brewer during this recording. Keith and I are both furious right now. <laughs> Wish you guys could see our faces. Keith's doing very angry fist shaking. <laughs> yeah, fist He's, shakes. by the way, the most mic-ready producer of any podcast in history. I yes. listen to so many podcasts where at some point they're like, Producer Harry, come on. And then Producer Harry gets on there. Producer Harry is not Mike Ready. That <laughs> producer, and you're like, that's fine. They're the producer. We have the most Mike Ready producer in the history of producing. We never bring him on mic. Ever. I know. Ever. And by Mike Ready, I mean the most dulcet tones, everyone. Like the best voice maybe of all time. You can hear yes, that voice. Yes, you just gave me the Taylor Swift heart. During the ad reads <laughs> of the Global Hemophilia Report. Oh, yeah, now you and guys And next week's episode's yeah. all about women. I Actually, have a lot more to say about that Actually, we're going to tease later. that. If you'd like to hear producer Keith's voice and dulcet tones, you have to listen to the Global Hemophilia Report. That is the only way. We will never bring it Never bring him on this on show. Bloodstream. We have committed <laughs> to this mistake. Um, we probably have other stuff to shortly move into here. But I also wanted to just take a moment, Amy, check in. It's summertime. We're, you know, early moving into mid-August. So not sort of like the doldrums of the summer, but kind of a little bit. I don't know. August is always such a funky month. But then with the BDC, for us in particular, it's a different sort of workflow. But how are you doing? How's life, Amy Board? Well, um, speaking of women in health, I had a huge health uh, breakthrough in the last like three weeks. I was uh, finally diagnosed with chronic migraine, and it's been it's been over a decade that I've experienced headaches. I don't have severe episodic, you know, migraine where you know, you're incapacitated, you have to go into a dark room, you know, sweating, vomiting, Mm. you know, troubles with vision and hearing and, you know, sound, all those things. I have never had that. So I've never classified it or thought it was migraine, Mm. but I've had their, they last three days. And I think that's, Mm. I think that's the thing. I mean, for a decade, I have had headaches that last three days and they're all the time. Mm. So they're kind of, hard they're in in the grand scheme of things i function i highly function right. i come to work i've done this podcast many times with a headache and i've never really had treatment that has worked so i've i've talked to multiple gps about it and have received medication and nothing has really worked it's like mm. dulled it but it's never really worked i've had a couple doctors say that it was it was tension headache so i thought it was that for a while and I think, you know, Is when that like you, stress, tension, headaches? I don't yeah, like, like, yeah. Headache. And tension headaches, actually, like now that I'm, I'm like reading nerdy about it, they're like, they're kind of dull, like in the front of your head. Okay. And mine are uh, on one side. side so mine okay. are on one side. Always the it, same side? No, they kind of switch. And sometimes in the midst of the headache, it switches. And mm. then it like ends back here. It ends like back around my neck after like the third day. And... um my boyfriend, Rob, finally kind of had it, I think. I had one over my birthday weekend. And, you know, I made a comment like, oh, I just shouldn't have had that. 
you know, margarita at lunch. Well, you had three cakes over your birthday. (laughs) I did three. Count them, everybody. One, two, three. But he was like, that just feels ridiculous to me that you can't. He was like, I want a doctor to to tell me, like, you can't do this before I just allow the fact that, like, you can't live your life in that way and not get a headache. And I did. I had a headache the entire weekend. Mm. And so we um, bit the bullet and we just scheduled an appointment for a specialist. We Googled and we found the first one. And there's such a thing as a headache specialist. And Mm. They were out of network, so I had the resources to pay out of pocket. So I just did, you know, and they called me right away and set up an appointment that week. So it just felt like, okay, this is a thing. Mm. And um, it it seems pretty standard, you know, that I have these. It's chronic migraine. It's, you know, more than like 15 days a month that I would have headache days. Mm. And uh, it's genetic. It's a genetic thing, which huh. at first I was like, oh, I don't have any family history. And then after the appointment, my of course, I told my mom all of this. And my mom came back after thinking about it for a while. And she goes, oh, my God. She goes, your grandfather had horrible headaches. Wow. And uh, my grandmother would call him sick headaches, and he would go away. And my aunt remembers vomiting. And wow. they, my mom said, we never heard the word migraine. I don't right. think he ever got treatment for it. Probably not. But, you know, thinking about it, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's genetic. And there it is. Yeah. And I got some meds. I got some meds that work. Wow. So how long have you been on those? <clears throat> Since that day. And I got injected with like, you know, those of you, you know, on Heme Libra and this is a map. I got injected with a MAB. It's one Whoa. of the MABs. Oh, welcome to the monoclonal antibody. So club. it's a monoclonal antibody. And yeah. I don't wanna like subcutaneous. Brag. Subcutaneous, subcute. Oh, hey girl. So uh, I texted Patrick immediately and I was like, I don't wanna brag, but like I'm a MAB as well. So <laughs> um anyway, but it uh it's changed my life a little bit. It's yeah. I'm still learning about it. Like I'm now I'm a nerd, but now I have. Uh, speaking of advocacy in women, now I have to advocate with my actual medical team and my. You know, I, I was I got samples just to like try things, and now I need to advocate to have these treatments. Obviously, they're expensive. Yeah, and I I just think. And I don't want to put this as women because I think I think we all do this. But, you know, we just live with things and we, you know, I had resigned to the fact that, like, this is just how my body is. Yes. And no one knew that I experienced them as long as I did. Um, not even Rob, really. You know, I would tell him, obviously, when I would get one, but then I wouldn't keep talking about it. It just felt like I was... I don't know, complaining or something. Yeah, so he what's would the say, point, right? how's your headache doing? I'm like, that's ah, fine. It's like still there. But it was like, it's there for three days. Yeah. And he was the one finally that was like, they last three days. It should, it, that just shouldn't be. It's just not a thing that should be. Yeah. And um, I'm ex- I'm excited about it. I, I, I have some acute treatment that's already worked and it really works. They're like, it's clear and there's no side effects. It's very clear. And, um, Anyway, I, I, I guess my my pitch to listeners really is uh, science is really accelerating. And I know we we talk about it in the hemophilia community a lot, but I, I, I do think science is, is accelerating. And if there is something that has been bothering you, especially from a pain point of view, I don't know, maybe try to talk to somebody new. Talk to somebody new. That's a good, like, talk to somebody new. Yeah. Talk to somebody new. Has any part of you felt anger that it took so long to get such 
actionable immediate treatment and relief? Yeah, I'm 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 more I'm bummed. I was a part of it for downplaying, but I had there are three medical professional well, two medical professionals and one like chiropractic, you know, um he like he he does uh like massage and things like that, that I talked to about it. And I am really bummed that all three of those people didn't say, we need to start tracking these. And this is, this is a step type of thing. Like you're, you're going to try things that don't work. And like, there are many different options. And that was the case back then. And like, I wish they would have said migraine. I wish they would have said this, you need to come back and see me in, in three you know, months and you need to track this. You have to write down everything. You have to track what your triggers are. You have to figure that out. Mm. No one said that. They just Mm. prescribed a thing. They're like, yeah, yeah, well, let's get you on this thing. They never really told me how to use it. They didn't tell me to go like see a specialist because migraine care does take trial and error. So I think a lot of things, especially with pain, takes trial and error. So as a patient, we have to be prepped for that. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this is going to take like eight months to maybe find something, two years to find something. Right. And you have to kind of go through the medical rigmarole. There's there's a reason for that. I understand it. But I just think people just give you something and then yeah. it doesn't work. And as a patient, you just, you fall off. And get tired and stop trying. And like you said, just learn to live with it and go, I guess this is just how my body is. The medicines don't work for me. The doctors don't know what to do for me. I can't keep spending time and money chasing down an answer that's never going to come. Let me just learn to live with this. Yes. And then people live substandard qualities of life. Yeah. I'm so glad you're sharing this because it's, well, for you, like, wow. Like you yeah. said, it's been like, you low-key dropped life-changing yes. in there. And that's notable. So, you know, just a moment to like, yeah, amazing when we can say I'm having a life-changing experience. Yes. I mean, and I feel like a kinship to you with these cortisone shots that this year I have experienced less pain than I have in... 20 plus since early childhood. Yeah. And makes me like a little emotional to even just say that. Yeah. You know, so, hey man, kudos to friggin' us for pursuing new doctors, new conversations, and eventually finding some treatments and and relief. And hey, science, way to keep up your end of the bargain. Yes. And we say there are a lot of crap out there. I hate that science is connected to capitalism and money and all the things and we can that's like a whole nother conversation but from this point of view like science it's science. it's it, science <laughs> <laughs> with that we will let's make a, let's transition now we got two things left and then amy and i will come on back you're going to hear a uh, a little bit of audio from our sister podcast flow in the spirit of this is a day for women this yes! is a day for women here on day bloodstream you're going to hear a bit on flow uh, that's coming up. And then, of course, that's co-hosted by Jessica Lauren Richmond and Sarah Watson. Jessica also leads The Well. The Well. And this episode segment on growth. So let's hear from Flo, and then we'll go to The Well, and then Amy and I will be back to close it out. Hi, it's Jessica from Flow. I'm here with Sarah Watson, sex therapist. And we are always asking, because we always want to know, how's your flow? See, we are advocates for menstrual awareness. Which means we are keen on bringing you resources like doctors, patient stories, and other advocates, all to normalize the conversation around extreme periods. Because with generations of patriarchal influence to overthrow, too many people are still intimidated by the bleed. Shocking. Listen, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. 
don't care what side you're on. I just want you to know why this matters. Because unfortunately, there's some pieces of legislation that are really controversial, just depending on what side you are politically. And I'm like, you know my brother. You've seen the difference. You've seen him with a helmet on his head, mm-hmm. pale, covered in bruises. And you see him now. You see how he's like six feet tall, mm-hmm. bodybuilding, mm-hmm. super successful mm-hmm. in his career. The only reason that was able to happen was because things changed. There was legislation that let him have better insurance, that let him have a better life. If something happens to that, you take that away from him and you take that away from so many other kids that could do so many more amazing things in this world. Mm. My name is Michelle Condi. I am from Duluth, Georgia. Michelle Condi from Georgia spoke with Amy Board at HFA this year. Michelle is an advocate in the bleeding disorders community, passionate about creating change and growth in the systems that surround her and her brother, because change and growth in the systems is what helps her brother continue to grow. But Michelle had to grow into championing for change. At first, when she found out she was going to have a brother, I was three going on four, and my little brother came into this world, and I did not want him. (laughs) I was not interested in his presence in my life, but he brought with him presents that said, you're a big sister and a giant teddy bear for uh, me. Obviously, when he came down into this world, he was carrying those just for me. So I thought, this kid's okay. Yes. And from then on, I... Just, I became his protector. Mm. I became the person advocating for him. My poor brother, he has had three parents his whole life. <laughs> Not his choice at all, but we're best friends, and that means that I will do anything to make sure that he's okay. Mm. For me, it meant that I learned to read at four years old by reading um, the books Raising a Child with Hemophilia, yes. the story of Alexei from the Romanov family. I knew how to say recombinant factor before I knew how to sing along to Barney. We're a happy family with a great What changes and what stays the same? Those are the only two pieces of data we can use when we're mapping growth. But hang on, we were just talking about recombinant factor and Barney. I assure you the two thoughts are related. Let's go a little deeper. Into the well. We are standing by a wishing It's a new day at the well, but just like every other day, and in any day, there are 24 hours. That stays the same. What changes when we evolve also helps clarify what's not going anywhere. (sighs) There are folks waking up today, having their breakfast. Maybe the coffee is too hot. Then they walk into a room to make decisions that have a massive impact on those battling for their lives in hospitals. In those rooms, there are people explaining why change is necessary, essential, required. Those heroes of change, those explainers, are called advocates. Michelle Condi is such a hero of change, and at HFA, she recounted to Amy the story of another explaining change hero. I have one advocate that I'm so proud of her. Savannah White is one of the strongest young people I know. Mm. She makes me incredibly proud, but Mm. she unfortunately lost her father last year. He had Von Mm. Willebrand's, and he developed cancer, and like a a combination of a few different health conditions ultimately led to his death. And she has nonstop been advocating, telling these legislators why we need to make some changes. She is telling her story, holding back tears. She's not an expert on this. She's a teacher who works in agriculture studies. But she's there asking for this change. She's telling her story, how she saw her father struggle 
in the last days of his life, telling the people how her family mm. were thinking about the bills. The last thing they should have been thinking about were those bills that were going to come because of this health crisis right. that they were facing, but it was the first thing that was on their mind. Right. So she was there. She's holding back tears, sharing her story, but she's doing it. Yeah. And it makes a difference. We've seen more people sign on to this piece of legislation. We've seen Republicans that, you know, weren't interested say, tell me more. How can I help? I think that is the absolute best thing you can hear from anyone. doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're on. If they say, I want to learn more, once they say they want to be a part of it, you have someone that you can rely on. You have an right. ally. Oh, well, that does sound like a refreshing change. From the notion of immovable stagnation to the reality of policymakers with ears wide open. The idea that legislation and rules can be created by people who are capable of growth. Well, great. How do we do that? What makes these policymakers able to grow? And the answer to that million-dollar question is the stories of advocates from the bleeding disorders community. I feel like the bleeding disorder community stands apart from so many other rare disease groups. Right. What we do, we've made it an art form. We are able to really be persuasive. We're able to talk and talk and talk and talk to each other, build our community, and stand strong with each other. I think that makes the biggest impact, being able to build our community, our stories. They go hand in hand, and they are what makes the biggest difference and what allows us to do, well, what we do every day. What they do every day they walk into one of those rooms is make change possible, bravely. Right. We've all had that fear, that panic, we all share parts of the same story, but there's always a unique twist on them. And so we all should keep talking and we should all keep saying, this matters, my life matters. Because it does, at the end of the day, your story is 100% what is gonna change somebody's mind. You can give them the facts and figures and they'll hear that, they'll appreciate that. But if it doesn't come from a place, a personal place, right. it doesn't make that same impact. So being able to connect just you know, a face, a story, a name with the 1,700 folks in Georgia that have a bleeding disorder. That's where you get legislators to listen to you. That's how you get change to happen. So I'll be repeating Michelle's wise words on the way out. Till next time on The Well, remember. At the end of the day, your story is 100% what is going to change somebody's mind. We are standing by a wishing well. Jessica, Lauren, Richmond, thank you once again for bringing us to and from The Well. The Well. And Michelle Condi, thank you for contributing to that conversation on growth, evolution, what changes and what stays the same. Amy Board, speaking of what changes and what stays the same, Bloodstream will be back once again, as we generally are every other Friday in two weeks, an episode that's going to drop during the National Hemophilia Foundation's Bleeding Disorders Conference, y'all. We will be in Hot Houston, Texas. Oh my God, Houston, For the Texas? BDC uh, mm. at the time that drops. What can uh, the listeners, though, expect to hear on that episode? We've got a great episode uh, that'll come to you. So not next Friday, but the following Friday. The 26th. From BDC. We've actually got Hanny's coming back. Dr. Hanny, Alison Curry, <laughs> is going to actually talk to us about the second most common bleeding disorder that you don't know about. Ooh. You don't know about. Look at this. Like, what are you writing? Copy for clickbait? Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty and good. He's, he, this is what his research is in. Uh-huh. And he was the one that contacted us. He was like, hey, do you want to talk about this thing? That's and true. And through the whole interview, I was like, wait, this is a thing? 
Yeah. So anyway, check it out. It's going to be great. That's cool. We'll also talk a bit about uh, what we're anticipating at BDC. Yeah. We're going to be recording that episode on Monday the 22nd. Mm-hmm. That's the day before Amy and I leave. So it'll be, there should be some good energy, yeah. some good anticipation of what's to come. Yeah. We'll talk about that stuff, probably drop some highlights from the conference and and all that good stuff. So that will be next time on the show. And in the meantime, there is the uh, hashtag NHF2022 is a way that you can start to follow if you're active on Instagram, Twitter, even Facebook uses hashtags. Uh, although I don't know if Facebook users use them, but anyway, you can follow NHF2022, of course, Bloodstream, I think it's Amy, BDC myself. 2022. Oh no, is it? Oh no. We've discussed we this on Bloodstream know. in years past as well, because there's been years where it's been NHF BDC or when yeah. it was annual meeting, then there's where it's that. All right, now you have homework, listeners. You have to go now on NHF's account. You figure it out. We could do it right now. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to figure it but out. But you for ultimately you. need you to guys do this for have yourself. Self advocacy is an important part of this community <laughs> and lifestyle. So you work on that. But we will talk to you again on the 26th. And with that, that is all for this episode. Hey, reminder to subscribe. Oh, to subscribe. Subscribe, please. That's a tricky word. To the Bloodstream (laughs) Podcast, wherever you listen and share this episode with family and friends and colleagues. Or anyone. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. On multiple platforms. You can subscribe everywhere that it's available. I do that. And, you know, if you have that bleeding disorders health topic that you want to hear us discuss more, if there's a guest or a topic you are just dying to hear about or from, if you do want to inquire about storytelling or our rotating casting opportunities, it's crazy. Contact us, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. There's Bloodstream Media on social media, as well as myself and Amy Board, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Yep, LinkedIn, Instagram. We're on all of those. Find us, reach out to us, and let us know what you want to hear more about. I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host, Amy Borg. Until next time, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.